Welcome to our podcast. Good news, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hey, good morning there. This is Darius Dell here, senior analyst on the Hedgeye Macro team. And I want to thank you guys all for making time to join us this morning for the special Hedgeye webinar. Uh, nice process update in the midst of this quad four data and actual storm outside here on today. So uh, without further delay, let me just turn things over to Keith McCullough. Thanks and good morning. Just wanted to get you into the process, process, process. So why do we have these views it's based on a repeatable process. We want you to be prepared for the next sell-off. So again, when we get into the quad four of it all, we want you to fundamentally understand what that means. You will not learn from the old wall, its media, or otherwise what quad four is because, of course, uh, it's our process. And again, this is based on very obvious rate of change data. It's not a political opinion. It has nothing to do with valuation, wah, 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 whatever you're hearing on TV today. So let's just jump into it. You know, what is the world that you hear about a lot versus the world that we're getting into? Um, so this, again, our process is largely built uh, to get in front of major market moves that are perpetuated by what we call the machine. So the machine, whether you like it or not, is perpetuating a lot of different market moves. So on slide four of our process deck, you can see you know, what the world was, which was a bunch of active long-only managers seeing money flow out of what they're doing, picking stocks, using valuation, talking about political outcomes, uh, wah, 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 uh, to the non-Charlie Brown version, which is on the right side, where the money has flowed towards. So whether you like ETFs or passives or not, the machines do. And that's a really important thing, is when machines start to acknowledge either changes in momentum, uh, style factors, factor exposures, subsector exposures, that they used to like to they no longer liking those things, you better have been prepared for that. So again, the two biggest components of my process really are one, fundamental research to get ahead of those moves, and two, quantitative signaling, which confirms or denies the fundamental research process. If you only have one, I think you could be okay at this. I think I was okay at this. If you have both, I think you can be great at this. A lot of people, what you'll see is that they have either neither or maybe one, and one of those things is not updated uh, for the year 2018. So again, there are things like predictive tracking algorithms, machine learning. There are plenty of things, AI, things that we use to apply, again, to better methodology than the things that you see daily on the old wall. Now, not to be confused with us being angry. We want, we're very happy about the old wall. We want them to be gainfully employed for as long as possible. Because if we don't have the other side of the trade, we have no money to make. Okay? So the number one way that I've made money over the course of my career is not losing money when they do. Okay? When they're all losing money, we don't want to be part of that crowd, the excuse-making crowd, the whining, the political begging for bailouts, etc. We want to have capitalized them. Capitalize on them, is what I should have said. Okay? So be happy that they are there. Don't be upset. Uh, be quite happy about all of it. Uh, if you look at slide five, us versus them. So for you uh, fractal uh, experts out there, you'll, you'll notice that this on the left side is a Serpinski gasket, uh, which is a great fractal pattern to become aware of. A lot of this, by the way, has to do with awareness uh, as opposed to ignorance. So again, you don't want to be ignorant. You want to be aware. And then once you're aware, you're going to educate yourself to do better. So on the left side, what we do, which is based on history, math, behavioral psych, overlays that are all quantified, uh, versus the right side triangle, what they do is largely a consensus based on linear economic theory, how the market feels. I called my 
uh, friend who thinks that the market could go up or down. The chart looks like this or that. This time is different, etc. Uh, where I want to focus your eyes next on the math part is the rate of change. So the rate of change, it's a sine curve. If you don't know what that is, you definitely got to get up to speed on that. We learned this in the 10th and 11th grade. So don't forget second derivative or calculus. This is what our entire model from a research perspective is built on. So when the rate of change slows, that's bad. And when the rate of change accelerates, that's good. This is not about uh, anything else. That's pretty much it. When it's as good as it gets, by the way, when we had nine consecutive quarters of US growth accelerating, uh, you wanted to be long growth, for example. And that's where we had our subscribers for a long period of time, for two and a half years indeed, until we started to make the call on quad four in Q4. It's currently Q4, so we want you to be prepared for quad four. Now, what does quad four mean? If you look at the next slide, just for those of you that are new to our process, it looks a little busy. I'm going to make it simpler uh, by drawing, but first just keep that four quadrant model in the back of your mind. Lots of numbers, not that many words, and that is a darn good thing. You want people that speak mathematically, quantitatively, not politically or qualitatively, okay? So I'm going to go to the board here now and, and show you what those four quadrants look like with my, it's, it's got to be the simplest thing that you take away from this is understanding the methodology and again, the measuring and mapping process. So if I just draw uh, kind of like the same picture that I just had and I take four quadrants, so on the X and the Y axis, I should have made that uh, black rather, um, on the, on the X and the Y axis, we want to uh, be looking at growth and inflation in rate of change terms, mm -hmm. okay? So quad one, let's actually make that one, let's put a little green on that one. Quad one is good. Quad two, really good. So in quad one and two, growth is going up, okay? In quad three and quad four, three and four, Growth is going down. Okay? Got it? You got four scenarios. You have two factors. Okay? So our job here is, again, much like the weather, is to be allocated to where the world has to get prepared for certain weather. When you go from quad two, for example, to quad four, that's been our call here since September, the end of September, we call that a hurricane. Okay? So you want to, it's, it's, it's a little different than being prepared for just a little rainstorm being prepared for a hurricane, okay? This is a dramatically different outcome. Because again, in quad two, quad two is where we have both growth and inflation going up at the same time. So you got growth and you get an inflation going up at the same time. When that's happening, everyone's a winner other than people that are long gold, long-term bonds, and the dollar. Things like that. There are other things, but I'm just uh, summarizing on big stuff. Why? Because growth and inflation are accelerating. The Fed is getting hawkish because the data continues to accelerate. They keep raising interest rates. So bond yields are going up. That's when bonds do poorly. That's when gold does poorly. The dollar starts going down because people are chasing other people's currencies. There's a whole a host of things to do when you're in quad two. Again, the last five quarters in the U.S. economy, you were in quad two. The last nine quarters, you were in quad one or two. If you were wondering or if you didn't know this, that nine consecutive quarters in quad one or two is a new USA record. The prior record was coming out of the early 1990s. That was seven. Okay? So if you didn't know, now you know. Again, go from ignorance to awareness. Ignorance to awareness is where we want to get you. And I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to make you better. Okay? I certainly want to get better every single day. And doing it any other way is not going to make you better. If you don't know this, you have to get aware. 
Once we get aware, we can start to get proficient and get better and better and hopefully limit our mistakes. So again, once you're back, once you go to the fourth quadrant, you have both growth and inflation doing what? They're going down at the same time in rate of change terms. Okay, so back to, uh, we go back to slide five, uh, slide six rather. And you can see that again, we have, can I draw on that guys? Uh, so again, this looks busier, right? Once people see numbers that are not mathematically inclined, imagine you're, God, God forbid you're listening to one of these people on TV that literally have an opinion about everything economically but do not have a model. Now that's interesting, all right? That's super interesting. <laughs> that, that's like, um, you know, like if you had a granddaddy or grandpappy or a grandma who just knew where everything was, uh, but they didn't quite give you the specific directions. Well, now you have this thing called ways. Who would you, who would you take instructions to to measure and map your way on a route with traffic, everything fully loaded? Would you use grandpappy and his, whatever's in his brain that day? Or are you going to use some math, some predictive tracking algorithms? Okay? So this is what we want to do. So getting smarter is good. It's good. Again, going from, going from ignorance to awareness is good. Um, but again, if I circle this move, when Trump was elected, by the way, and as soon as you say Trump, some of you are like, oh, my God, it's election day. I hate the guy. Uh, or you love the guy. I don't care. Republican or Democrat, this model doesn't care about your political affiliation, your religion, anything. All right? Q4 of 2016, when Trump was elected, incidentally... The data went as far into the top right corner where grandma keeps the cookies. If you've ever seen a shot in hockey, that's where you stick it if you don't want the goalie to get it. That's as good as the data could have got in rate of change terms. And again, it stayed there up until the third quarter of this year. So again, nine consecutive quarters. You're in one of these two places, quad one or two. Then you go from there, quad four hurricane over here. Okay, So this is our dot right here. So when people talk about the dots on television, they're talking about central bankers, Wall Street economists, they call them blue chip economists, that are acting on a lag to what we already know. Okay? You can go back to the beginning of the year. Hedgeye said the global economy is no longer going to be in a synchronized recovery. It is going to slow. We said China would slow, Europe would slow, emerging markets would slow. Ten months later, Wall Street is giving you that news. You do not want to be operating on a six to 12 month lag to what is actually happening in publicly available data, okay? Go from ignorance to awareness so you don't lose money when everybody else does. So right here in the fourth, in the fourth quadrant, and incidentally in the fourth quarter, it makes quad four and Q4 really easy to remember. You only have to remember two fours, quad four and Q4. So again, quad four is where the most amount of people get plowed, okay? If you're long the dollar in quad four and you're long low beta defensives and you're short momentum and growth and technology stocks, you crush it. On slide 70, we've done all the back test work on this, of course. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a question as to what happens in quad four. The question is whether or not we are in quad four, okay? So every day, a good data dependent gets a refresh on that, gets an opportunity to update their process, Update their premise. Okay, was that data quad four or was it quad three? Was it quad two? Every data point we've had so far in the fourth quarter is quad four, okay? And the market's already discounted. When, when the S&P 500 goes down 10%, or, or the Russell 2000 for that matter, which is a broader basket of stocks, goes down 15% in six weeks, I think Mr. Market's figuring something else out. So again, notwithstanding where the market is right here today, when you're staring at a chart or at the futures, what you really don't want to do is buy the damn dip if we're remaining in quad four. 
So that's important. We got the ISM numbers earlier uh, in the week. We got, you know, we're going to have uh, PPI numbers, uh, producer prices on Friday, which will be more quad four numbers. Quad four is a reportable fact or not. And if it's not a fact, every morning on the macro show or in our written material, we will say, hey, today's data was not quad four. Uh, so again, it's not a political opinion or what the market should do or could do. It's about what the market and the data is actually doing. Okay, so again, that's a way to not lose a ton of money when everybody else is losing a ton of money. Just to give you the now cast, so the way that this model is built is that with every data point, we have a now cast or the or the uh, the the actual forecast on where we think growth and inflation can go updates in real time. So if you go to slide thirteen, uh, Josephine, you can see uh, that after nine straight quarters, uh, can I doodle on that one? I'm doing a lot of doodling for these guys. Go back to, well, before I doodle, just take my word for it. Try to get good at following the numbers. In fact, get good at knowing the numbers. Know the numbers. Expect to know the numbers. Be better at this. The days of depending on somebody's advice or opinion are so far gone, they started to leave us when the internet came. Okay? (laughs) Knowledge. Knowledge is the opposite of ignorance. So, again, you should know this. This sh- if you dare invest your own money, or God forbid you're investing other people's money and you don't know this, that would be a bigger problem. And by the way, I've seen a lot of people <laughs> that do fit uh, those shoes, and they don't like me at all. Because, of course, I call them out. Why? You know, Just like if I went into uh, an airplane and the pilot was right hammered snorting cocaine, I would call him out. <laughs> I would. And I'd have fair premise to do so. Right? If you don't know, right here, Q3, Q2 of 16, that was the low. Okay. Again, you don't even have to be able to do math to know that the slope of this line is pointing upward. Every single quarter for nine quarters in a row, it went up. And effectively, our nowcast is at 276. Okay, that's as of the ISM services report and the ISM number, it's 276. If it goes to 273, we'll tell you on the macro show that it went to 273. If it went to 279, obviously, that would happen in kind. Now, what's really interesting about this is that most people don't know this to begin with. Certainly the people you compete with, again, keep them gamefully employed, want that, that's good stuff. Uh, next slide. The way that Wall Street reads the headline GDP number is, is called this quarter over quarter seasonally annualized number, uh, which is this goobly gock. <laughs> but the Trumpster, Trump is the four, right? And by the way, just for credibility's sake, for five quarters, the last five quarters, we, we had the high estimate on Wall Street and we did quite well with that. We kept saying, hey, the GDP number's gonna be better than you think. I don't care if you like Trump, don't like Trump trades, whatever, tariffs, whatever you're whining, complaining about, macro tourists, okay? Now, if we're right on the Q4 number, look at this sucker. That should be, you get, oh, you don't want to look at that. Maybe we should take that off. Let's, let's not talk about that one, okay? Because if you go from GDP headline from four to three and a half to one, whoa. Now Mr. Market has himself a data point to be thinking about, and he is. Or it's a she, I don't know. So at the end of the day, that's a big data point. That's the main part on growth. And the, the final point here on our nowcast is that inflation has finally peaked and is starting to roll over. This is, of course, augmented, our view being the blue line, the old wall being the red line, uh, the red bars and the, versus the blue bars. Uh, we're at 175, so that's a full 100 basis points of slowdown on a quarterly basis uh, of headline inflation by the end of the first quarter of 2019. So again, back to what you would do in that scenario. In quad four, you buy dollars, you buy low beta defensives, utilities, consumer staples, for example. You also buy treasury bonds. So the last thing that we haven't been right on this year yet, and we just turned bullish on treasury bonds at the end of September, so maybe you give me a little bit of time here. If you don't, then don't. 
I'll give myself time. Because again, I'm buying the thing that nobody wants to buy. And that's when you make the most amount of money. When you're long the thing that nobody's long when it starts to work because they have to buy what starts to work. Okay, so that's the other thing. You don't want to lose money when everybody else is. And you want to start to buy the things that they're eventually going to have to buy. Not like five years early. I'm talking like two to three. Hopefully, if you could nail it right on time every time, you'd be behind bars with Bernie Madoff. Uh, but at least over time, like I've been doing this for 20 years, you want to start to get these big moves right before other people do. So again, when inflation's falling, the blue, the blue bars, if we're right on that, uh, then the 10-year bond yield tracks that almost like a glove over time. So you got to get inflation right to get the 10-year bond yield right. So to get the long-term bonds on the long side right after being bearish on bonds for the last two and a half to three years, that's where we're thinking about that. Um, so maybe a good spot, uh, I think that's a, an initial roundup. Maybe I'll just uh, final, uh, finalize a, on a summary side on some of the things that were coming out of my mouth. Slide 70, uh, if we could get that up, guys, because uh, I wanted to do like 15 minutes and then take uh, your questions. Slide 70 is telling you the worst place to be when you go into quad four is momentum. So that's the worst return historically. These are the quarterly returns by asset class, subsector exposure, and factor exposure. Again, if you don't know what any or all three of those are, you have to educate yourself. Ignorance is not acceptable. Listening to somebody who is also ignorant that's telling you what to do is doubly ignorant, so that's doubly unacceptable. All right, There's probably a power law associated with this. If you keep listening to... It, it, it gets worse and worse and worse when they get more wrong all at the same time. But what you don't want to be when you go from quad two to quad four is long momentum, high beta, tech, or the Russell growth. What you want to be long, what you can see, is low beta stocks, Dividend yielding stocks, healthcare stocks, consumer staple stocks, etc. So that's what our subscribers have been long and short. Uh, or again, if you can't short stocks, don't get mad at me. It's not a bad thing to do. You just sell them. You know, like in my 401k, in my RIA, in my personal accounts, I was long technology, consumer discretionary stocks, FANG, just sold them and bought the other stuff utilities, consumer staples, dollars, US dollars, my biggest position. That's how you don't lose money over time. What you want, and maybe this is the last point that I want to make, because I always make this point with people, your net wealth should look like this. Some people kind of like this, I guess. Um, let's uh, take this, get it out of the, check it over here. We might have to come back to that, by the way. Um, your net wealth should look something like this. If you start at time zero, let's just use time zero, and you start to make, by the way, I'm a son of a firefighter. My mom was a teacher. I didn't have anything when I came to this country other than debt, okay, student loans. So I was kind of like down in here, negative net wealth. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you start to make a little scratch. You save a little bit. Let's make this line green, Darius, just to make it a little, mm -hmm. a little more exciting. You start to go, I guess, that'd be nice if your net wealth did this. And over time, maybe it does something like that. But over time, you want the line to kind of look like that. What you don't want over the course of the 20 years that I've been on Wall Street, by the way, the market, this U.S. stock market has crashed two times. Two times. I didn't forget either. And I didn't crash either time. So again, I was on the right side of both. You might say, oh my God, I can't believe you said it. I did. Is it okay? There aren't many places that are built on that foundation. What they do, their, <laughs> their net wealth looks more like this. Okay, I'd have to use the, the other colors, but they start going along the line. And it's like, stocks for the long run, stocks for the long run. Wham! Oh my God, uh, buy stocks. Okay, <laughs> takes me a couple, you know, five to 10 years to get back to break it. Okay, and some are over there. And wham! Like, you don't want that. That does, that does not, like, you don't want that. That's not what you want. <laughs> the, the, the whammos, the big whammos in this chart, these things, quad four. Quad four. Why? I don't know. 
Why you don't learn this in school, I don't know. And God knows <laughs> I'm not going back to school to write a white paper on what I already know. Um, I'm going to try to help you. If, if you believe me, great. If you don't believe me, question me. I'm going to help you believe it. And then over time, you know, we'll be good friends or maybe just we'll know each other through this communication channel. And I'll really appreciate your audience. And I certainly appreciate your questions because your questions, I'm accountable to them. The old wall is not. Let's go do it. Absolutely. Let's get there. Uh, and I do think, you know, this day and age, a, a white, an electronic whiteboard might suffice as opposed to a white paper. Yeah, that's a pretty obvious that's pretty, whiteboard. Yeah, I like that. All right, let's keep it moving here. Uh, first question here from Jonah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it says, how much does the role of post-midterm seasonality and stock buybacks weigh in your near-term outlook? Not a lot. Not a lot. I mean, I think a lot of these things are what uh, are macro tourist topics. So uh, no offense. I mean, you've, you've been taught these bad habits uh, by the old wall for a long period of time. Uh, that's why these cable channels uh, are essentially free. Uh, but again, the, the midterm election, they can give you stats on what happens during midterm elections or after midterm elections or before midterm elections. But unless they're, they're, the, the precondition is what quadrant you're in during an election or any event for that matter, tariffs, I don't care. Earmuffs. Every day, you get new data points. We get 30 data points per month, 90 data points per quarter. If tariffs are impacting the numbers, we're going to know. If they're not impacting the numbers, which they haven't been impacting the numbers, you're going to know. Isn't it interesting on that topic in particular? Trump had a trade war with my country, Canada, Europe, Mexico, China, and all the numbers did would get better. They accelerated to record highs. Okay. Now that Trump has eliminated his trade war with Trudeau, Canada, Mexico, Europe, and he says he's had some great conversation with the Chinese. Wouldn't it be ironic, but not surprising, if with all the trade wars over, the data slows? See how there's, there are many traps, political traps, of course. Don't forget that every time you click, click on their garbage, whatever it is, or turn on their channels, they get paid. You don't, okay? It's political, or it's topical, or headline. We, we jump from time series to time series, not headline to headline is a simple way to put it. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. A few questions on sort of just trading and general process points, so let's hit on them quickly. Um, when you address trade sizing, uh, do you look at the futures positions in terms of uh, your own trade sizing? Yeah, I look at I mean, we look at everything. So we look at a lot of, a lot of data. So, for example, uh, on futures and options positioning, Josephine, if you can, if you can show it right now, uh, a glaring, uh, glaringly obvious net long position is actually the S&P 500. Um, so the biggest net long position on a rate of change basis that people have gotten, interestingly, maybe not surprisingly, because everyone thinks that the sell-off is over, uh, it's, you can see that in small print, but on the left side, it's almost the biggest net long position in the last three years yeah. in the S&P 500. So now I'm much more confident making short sales once we get to the top end of the range. So again, I didn't spend any time on the quantitative side of this, or on the on quantitative signaling side of this, spent most of it on the fundamental research process. Measuring and mapping that data. Growth and inflation data. Is it accelerating or decelerating? On the quantitative signal, what I like to do is buy things when they're at the low end of the range and volatility is not breaking out to the upside, for example. That's one simple rule. Making short sales, I want to get to the top end of the risk range, which currently for the S&P 500 is 2767. So you don't see me short the S&P 500 yet. At 2767, you likely will, especially now that we have a big consensus net long position in the market. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, uh, in terms of shorting, uh, would you ever press a short, MK is asking? Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we have 40 people on our research team. If I see a fraud, for example, which we've called a couple against Jimbo Kramer, uh, Lynn Energy, to name one, 
big boy. Uh, that that was one you press every time it's up. Uh, you know, I, I like to press on bounces. Um, if your question is, you press or lean on it on the way down. If you if you adhere to my process, you don't have to sell it on the way down because you got bigger on the bounces. I much prefer to sell on green and to buy on red. Whether I'm short selling or I'm you know just buying something on the long side, I like to buy it at the low end of the range. This is kind of in this day and age, it's, it's somewhat unique with so many people chasing charts. People buy on green, sell, freak out on red. I mean, I, I, again, thankfully and hopefully, and hope's not a risk management process for them. But again, hopefully they they stay gainfully employed doing what they're doing because we want to take advantage of that emotion and again people chasing charts yeah absolutely absolutely and then lastly on just on process um francis is asking when you close a position in real-time alerts uh can we assume you completely covered and or sold it or do you just you just took some profits no anytime i i make a move from a compliance perspective i i have to you know issue a signal that i made a move so i'm not going to tell you what i'm doing with all my personal accounts but directionally that's exactly what i'm doing um so i'm not allowed to trade stocks uh, that we have recommendations on. I can only make changes in my personal account in, in macro positions because my analysts can't affect those positions. So I, I'm sure you can understand the compliance issues associated with, hey, I, I, we write a negative report on Tesla and I'm shorting the stock on the back door in my own account. I'm not allowed to do that. And I, I set up those rules because we want to be transparent, accountable, and trustworthy. Okay? Those three things, that's not Wall Street. Uh, but you get it here, and that's, that's, that's how we think about it. Cool. Gotcha. All right, cool. Let's get back into the meat uh, presentation. Thank you for those process questions because yep. obviously we're big on process here at Hedgehog. Yeah. Uh, AB is asking, is the data unique or extreme in this transition to quad four after being in quads one and two for nine consecutive quarters as opposed to previous bullish to bearish transitions in the past? The data is unique, but it's not extreme. Data doesn't have to be extreme. And some people quibbled with that. Of course, at the end of it was the last week of September that we made this call. We said no. Like, I mean, again, look at slide 13. We're going from 3.00% year-over-year GDP growth to basically 25 basis points less of that. So you'd say, that's not, extre- that's not extreme, Keith. I'm not selling. Okay, if you didn't sell, that was a major mistake. Uh, but it is unique mm-hmm. because it's the first quarter in the last 10. There are three months in every quarter. Again, 30 months. It's the first month that the direction is down instead of accelerating. So it's unique. And unique is where the payoff was. Yeah. And we might get a lot of questions on this. You know, what Wall Street has taught you is that let me give you a security blanket. Let me tell you the super duper multiple that the market should trade at, whether it's a fair multiple, where it's an attractive multiple. You don't hear that from me. All you'll hear is that a market that is quote unquote falling will fall further if the data continues to slow. Yes, there will be a bottoming point, but the bottoming point is going to be when growth stops slowing and you get an acceleration. And we go both ways. We went, started the firm in 2008 being uber bearish, went bullish in April of 2009. Okay, went super bullish, as I pointed out, in 2016, and when the data points really started to ring true, coming out of October and September uh, of 2016. So again, it's not my job to be bullish or bearish. It's my job to be right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, Bill's asking, can you run through an example of volatility being episodic and clustering? What typically happens to markets when we get a cluster of volatility? Well, I mean, that's, that's what volatility is. So you don't just need one example. I mean, if you want to read uh, uh, the most important book, at least foundational book on why volatility is episodic and clustering until it eventually trends. Benoit Mandelbrot, The Misbehavior of Markets, by far and away uh, the most cited book in all of my work. Um, so again, that's there. And actually, in that book, there are many examples. Uh, he started his first observation, I believe, was using Big Blue's machine up in Yorktown Heights, where he was observing cotton prices. 
Okay, so he do, he goes through extensively uh, stock charts, you know, different uh, commodity charts in the case of cotton, of course, to show you and improve empirically that volatility is going to catch a lot of people off sides many, many times. But what catches you way off sides is if you're buying the damn dip on something that is clustering and episodic, episodic becomes trending. So trending vol is the worst thing for a price of something. So that's what we want to avoid. If you think about that in terms of our process, I think it's on slide 22, guys. Um, again, a lot, of, a lot of people who are watching this uh, are either trying to uh, you know, understand what we're doing or improve their process. I do appreciate that slide 22. My three-factor model, as opposed to looking at a 50-day moving monkey or something nonsensical like that, um, is price, volume, and volatility. But what, essentially, we're overweighting volatility because predicting the volatility of volatility or whether or not volatility goes from non-trending to trending, that's the most important thing. If you pick off all those moves, which you won't, but you pick, up, pick off enough of them, once again, you will not lose money when everybody else is losing money in that asset class. Yeah, absolutely. Ray Dalio, uh, I'd argue, is, is he's built one of the biggest asset management firms on the planet, just basically observing volatility rules that nature within what he calls a dissolve-weather model. We call it a four-quadrant model. He calls it a dissolve-weather model. No, I'm not trying to be arrogant and saying I'm Ray Dalio. I'm just trying to help you understand that there's somebody who's got 1,400 people on his research team that have empirically proven the exact same thing that I've proven, which is growth and inflation are the two most causal factors when it comes to the returns in your portfolio, either asset class, subsector exposure, or factor exposure. Uh, I think on slide uh, seven, uh, the team can show you the data on that while we go to the next question. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, just real quickly, I mean, you know, with 90% of daily trading and daily volume in the market being systematic, you know, everyone is either in, implicitly or explicitly, you know, sort of employing some sort of vol targeting regime, you know, whether it be in, at, at the asset allocation level or it be at the risk management level in terms of trying to run market neutral, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So volatility is, is increasingly become a very important sort of part to, to risk manage and understand for investors to get their, their you know, security selection and asset allocation right. Um, what we notice and what is the huge opportunity in the market is that not a lot of investors can predict the direction of volatility with any degree of, of reasonable accuracy. And a lot of that has to do with not having accurate forecasts for the things that actually ultimately impact volatility, which is growth and inflation. Exactly. So what they do instead is they look for the thing, it's called recency bias. I mean, they'll look for the thing that's most near to them. Okay, so today it's the midterms. (laughs) Uh, Next week it won't be the midterms. You can understand how jumping from macro tourist site to tourist site makes you a tourist. Okay? I want to be the poor bastard sitting on a park bench at the Eiffel Tower, maybe. Poor. Bean count, measuring and mapping every single thing that happens on that tourist site every single day. You know, anything that changes on the margin should get my attention. If it changes and it's trending, there could be something bad that's going to happen. I want to be the first. I don't care that I'm disliked or smelly or whatever I am over there. Be the bean counter. Don't be the tourist. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) All right. Uh, and uh, we appreciate the, the nature of these questions, by the way, is fantastic. Uh, I think a lot of folks really understand the quad four call. There's a lot more process in terms of it's you know, how to management. Yeah, we're we're in Kansas City all day yesterday with institutional. So 90% of our business, by the way, is with big money managers, institutional um, money managers. And we were in Kansas City all day yesterday. That, so what we do is we, we, we present these slide decks, over 100 slides that says quad four and Q4 to people that have seen everyone else's argument and opinion and, by the way, have their own process. So we are battle-tested. You know, we don't have to go up against some clown on TV. Uh, and, by the way, you saw how that went for me. I just couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I like, couldn't do it. 
There's nothing worse than people without models telling you their forecasts. It's crazy. I mean, mean, Steve Leisman on CNBC, not that being an English major or a banjo player matters, but I mean, that's not the guy that I want to know quad four is coming or not, because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's nothing against the guy. He just doesn't know. It's nothing personal. It's okay to not know. It's nothing, they take it personally, I I bet. I don't know who's going to win the House and Senate, but that's why I'm not telling anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay to not know. Just don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. All right, so going back to these process questions, because these are pretty good. Um, JB's asking, uh, how do you go about balancing longs and shorts in a portfolio? And then as a follow-up question, do you scale in the positions based on conviction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the conviction part's easy. I mean, once the most conviction, I actually, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick lesson on this. Guys, tell me if, um, I don't know, just like come over and smack me upside the head if this is too much detail, but... Because a lot of people really care about hedging. Mm-hmm. They don't, uh, they've learned that in that prior chart where you get lose half your money uh, a couple times in the last 20 years, you don't, you don't want to do that, it, especially if you can make money during those periods. I made a ton of money in 08. I mean, it's not, I'm not going to become famous for it, but I don't care about being famous. Again, I'm the bean counter on the bench. Okay? So what I want to, like, if you want to talk about like, sizing a portfolio the way that I do, you got your longs and you got your shorts. This has got, I got to change this to a different color. So that just we have, so you got your longs, and you got your shorts. Okay? Now, one real simple way to think about it is if your max position, you gotta decide what's your max position. Now, what a lot of individual investors do is that they have no idea what their max position is. They'll try to buy a stock under 10 bucks that Motley Fool gave them, and that's it. Bad experience, all right? Uh, over time, if you keep doing that. But again, for me, the way that I would set up a portfolio, let's say that I got six is my max long, max long, 6% of my capital. Six percent. I'm just going to, you know, give you a scenario. My my medium position is going to be something like three. My starter position, small, is going to get the toe in the water. This you, you got to pay attention to the position once it's in your. This is the whole point. Like my my training on Wall Street is two feet into the water, you either sink or swim, and you had to put positions in in my boss's book, and then I had my own book, my own portfolio. So six, three, one. As your conviction rises, you bring it to six. As you get to the low end of the range and your conviction is rising, I should have said you go towards six. You want to buy low and you want to sell some higher. If it, the, the price goes to the top end of the range and a 6% position becomes a 7.5% position because it went up, the price went up, so through appreciation, then why don't you sell half of it? Take it down to a 3% position. That's how I'd run my money, okay? Uh, how you run your money, that's up to you. You can make these 10, 5, 2, whatever you want to do. Make a rule, okay? Kind of like... Two socks. <laughs> uh, underwear. A pair of underwear. So that's a good <laughs> that's one. A, that's a good rule. Two socks and a pair of underwear. Very good, especially for a middle-aged man. I would <laughs> say that these are critical I- items. Um, now, shorts, very critical for a man, all right, uh, of my age. Because when the tide rolls out and you don't have those on, all right, that's a bad problem. Um, so let's just say that this would be three, two, one. How's that? So now my, my biggest short position is about a medium-sized long position. Don't forget that you can get hurt a lot more in shorts than you do in longs. Okay, you only learn that by doing. So for anyone who just makes everything even, by the way, then you have to take this thing called beta and adjust the positions for their betas. So if you have a 1% short position, 1% long position, but the 1% position on the long side is a two beta, then you gotta make that position smaller in dollar terms. If I just lost you, study. Really important concept, beta adjusting the size of your portfolio. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to start doing some seminars on this stuff. This is a seminar. This is, is a it? webinar. Oh, it's a webinar. It's a webinar. Okay. Appreciate the audience. Cool. Awesome, awesome. All right, uh, WP is asking, based on your experience, might we ever go through two quarters of quad four without ever having to short the SPY? No, 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 no. I would love to short SPY, but I mean, I, shorting SPYs isn't as exciting as shorting tech, momentum, high beta. So again, go back to slide 70. The, the playbook says the other stuff's tastier. So what you've seen me do instead of shorting SPYs is shorting semiconductors. So as you know, semiconductors got, they were down like 15 to 18% since March. Uh, whereas the S&P 500's drawdown was maybe 10%. Mm-hmm. So you want to go, like I like to go to the wood. You know what the wood is? You bring it, all right? You have a process, you make the call. Nate Silver, you know, whatever he's doing with his political predictions, he's painting both sides of the fence now. But you know what? He's not really paid to be 100% accurate anymore. He already hit that bid. Um, what I do is I make a call. And when you make a call, you go to the best parts of the call. So that's why utilities is my biggest equity position in my portfolio. Biggest notional position is U.S. dollar. Biggest equity position, and actually the second biggest notional position, is utilities, followed by consumer staples. Then it's treasuries. So some people are like, oh, but you've got this big call on treasuries. Nobody else has a call on treasuries. should be your biggest position. You think I'm that stupid? It's my call. The trend signal on treasuries isn't yet bullish. So again, when you go back to going to max long, your signal has to confirm your fundamental view. And until, and I do think it's a trap door, 304%, 3.04% on the 10-year. By the way, I think that's a big reason why you ripped from 304 to 324 is that you went from bearish trend on the 10-year yield, which is bullish for bonds, to the opposite, zoom, all the way to 324. When we break 304, I think 250, no problem. Okay, so what I got to do in between is I got to buy bonds when we're at the top end of the daily range. Oh, what's you got one of those? Yeah, I got a daily range too. Today's range today on the S and P is three hundred three to three twenty two. Ten year. On the yeah, so at three twenty two, I buy some bonds. Uh, A couple weeks ago, the ten year went to three hundred six. I sold some bonds. You actively manage a position until, and then you make it big when both your fundamental research view is aligned with your quantitative signal. Cool. Gotcha. Speaking of. uh... It's exciting. It's like running my old hedge fund. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is exciting. This is this is great. You know, investors love learning, and I, and I think we have an audience that appreciates learning and appreciates you teaching. So this is actually uh, quite instructive. Well, I don't know if I'm a good teacher, but I can definitely rant about what I do. <laughs> your doodles aren't bad. <laughs> All right, uh, let's keep moving here. Thanks. Pete, Pete's asking. Uh, thanks for your work. Uh, what? Just a question on the dollar potentially losing its reserve currency status. That's oh, yeah. obviously been big in the media yeah. uh, recently. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts about this, and how do you personally protect against the wealth you've built up against this factor? Just kind well, of- I don't. I don't. I, I think I'm as equipped. In I, I read a book every ten days. Anything that comes out that's new on foreign currencies, macro markets, fractal modeling, which is much more important, which would give me the signal to get out of the dollar, which would then start to confirm that it's losing its status as the world's reserve currency, which of course has been you know poppycock. Um, so again, I don't believe that. Neither does the signal. So why would I act on it? You know, if, if one day the dollar, by the way, if it were to go down 10% tomorrow, we're all dead. So I'm not going to say that I'm not going to die that day, but nobody else is going to win either. You know, the, it, there is no such thing as that trapdoor. The world's reserve currency doesn't change as a non-world's reserve currency tomorrow morning. That's not going to happen. Okay, and, and I've been bearish on the dollar plenty of times. I could augment that by writing a book saying, well, you should lose the status of the world because the proxy basket was built on the U.S. hegemony, both militarily and economically, and now that is no longer the case. As you move forward to 2025, the Chinese will have more GDP and have more 
economic power, maybe not military power, therefore their share of the world's reserve currency basket should be larger. You go get it, buddy. You know, that's awesome. I agree. But I don't have to have that position on. The most important thing when you listen to all these super smart people out there, far smarter than I, real important point. I had the lowest SAT score at Yale. So I know people that are way smarter than me. And I can tell you, I can kick their bloody you-know-what in markets because they think they're smarter than the market. I at least acknowledge my capacity of my intellect, okay? So the market is the smartest one out there. It's not some person. It's not some process. The process is designed to pick up on what Mr. Market is trying to price in and give you plenty of clues on, okay? And one of them has not been, certainly this year, if I miss this move in the dollar, I mean, my biggest position since April, really April and May, has been long dollars. Um, I could have scared myself out of that position 5,000 times reading Zero Edge and, and said, wow, you know, uh, that was just not smart, actually. That's, maybe that should register as the lowest SAT score position at Yale. Yeah, no. no. It's, well, the SAT doesn't translate into market returns. We yeah. know that. Yeah. All right. Um, DH is asking, uh, can you talk a bit on how volume plays into your quantitative models? outside of confirming and or disconfirming price moves? Yeah, well, what it does really, to, I mean, that's a real important question as well. So if you, again, battle test your process. Make your process much more scientific. Okay, what do I mean by that? In scientific process, if, if, then. Equations, okay? So again, if that's true and this is true, then what? Not if the Republicans win the election and I'm a Republican, I'm happy, therefore I should buy stocks. That, that is ridiculous, okay? Or vice versa. If I'm a Democrat and Democrats you know, take more seats than I would have thought, then that's bad for stocks and I should sell stock. This is not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to use price, for example, back to the old model, volume, volatility. If price is going down, I'm, I'm talking more about the risk setup, but I mean, it's, it's, it's all the same. If price is going down and volume is going up and volatility is going up, that's bad, okay? That's confirming the bearish quantitative signal in my model. If price is going down, but volume is, is going down and volatility isn't breaking out, then that's eh. That's actually what was happening in August. The down days were small. The volume on the down days was light. We measure and map this every day, by the way, Josephine, you can show that every single day we measure and map volume versus the prior day versus the one-month average on a multi-duration model, okay? And that's how you should measure and map everything. It's not enough just to use a ruler. You have to have an ability to extend your measuring and mapping process across durations. So again, conversely, if I have price going, our call for almost three years on the U.S. stock market, particularly the growth year components that we liked, is that when price is going up and volume's going up, and volatility is doing what? Going down. Then that's super bullish. Okay? Any monkey, and you did see many, can love their charts, buy the damn dip when you have that setup. Up price on up volume with falling volatility. Again, that's where you saw a lot of people actually, most people, and I challenge you to send me a list because we would love to promote people with good process. People that were bullish on growth, momentum, high beta, technology, fang, everything. For the last two and a half years, who said in the middle of September to the end of September, now's the time to take all of your longs and short them and buy all of your shorts. I want to know who those technicians are because technicals will only get you so far. Good technicals, which are more quantitative machine learning, that's better than most technicians, by the way. But if you only do that, a lot of those people got run over. What you want to have is both. You want to have a good quantitative signaling process. You want to have a good measuring and mapping process on the research side. If you have both, I think, 
I want to know about these things. I want to talk to these people. I don't want to spend my... I want those other people to stay gainfully employed by themselves, hanging out. There's a big crowd of them. They backslap each other all the time. You know, let them do that. I want to get these people in here. So please uh, send them... Send them uh, Send us their names. We pull them on Hedge ITV. We'd love to have a real conversation with them. Because what I really want to get into the screws on is how they built it. Give me all the components of your process, and let's help other people help their process by learning yours. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, we learn a lot as well. All right, uh, a couple more before we wrap up here. Uh, Messier is asking, how would a China trade deal change or, or impact your views? Oh, it would change everything. I would just give up on the process immediately. The Trump tweet or something like that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the data is either going to change or the data is not going to change, okay? So what happens in the very measured moment of Trump tweeting, I had a really nice conversation with the Chinese, believe me. If your whole process hinges on that, that's not a process. That's just reacting to a tweet, okay? Uh, if the Chinese were actually to sign a new deal, by the way, we don't even have an anti-deal with them that's really impacting their numbers. What's impacting their numbers is that they're trying to compare against the biggest stimulus in the history of China, Okay. Josephine, go to slide 115 on this deck. This is what's really going on in China, is that the Chinese had to stimulate because we had a big deflationary force in motion at the end of 2015 into 2016 that forced the Chinese and the Fed to do this. On the left side, that's the Fed's dot plot. They're basically going dovish, devaluing the dollar, dollar and and or whatever your your daughter owns in dollars. (laughs) Uh, and, And on the right is the Chinese with the biggest stimulus in the history of China. Okay, this right here is the biggest stimulus in the history of China. I think for any of you who've read Chinese history, again, back from ignorance to awareness, that's a really long time. Okay, so again, this is why markets had massive stimuli. Now, if you go forward, it's all about the comparisons. The Chinese have to compare against that. Okay, next slide, Josephine, you can show that. Uh, Actually, two slides up, Uh, one more. Those are the rate of change charts. This equated to, can I draw on this one? This stimulus of secondary industries, empty cities, et cetera, heavy industries, these numbers are reported by the Chinese. They can't make them up. Equated to almost 50% of Chinese GDP growth. And then the guy gets elected for life. Do you think that a trade deal, after having a non-trade deal or whatever you think you're hearing on the television set, is going to change that they have to compare against those growth rates? Yeah. I, again, I, I hate to, and am not trying to insult your intelligence, I would, I would bet that whoever just asked that question did not know what I just showed you. That's educating yourself. It's going from ignorant to aware and then starting to ask the questions. So you should always start from, hey, Keith, I realize the Chinese stimulated their brains out. I realize at the same time that Janet Yellen devalued the dollar, it's called the Shanghai Accord. Is it mathematically possible while every data point that you're getting, whether it be Chinese or U.S. related in, the, in, in, in Q4 slowing, is it mathematically possible for any tweet by any human being to change that? That would be a much better way to answer the question because you start from a position of what's in my head because what's in my head is based on the time series of what's already been reported. Awesome. That's a, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Any parting thoughts? Cool. No, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I appreciate it. Again, focus on, if you don't like my style, focus on the, uh, on the results. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com.
Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.